0: Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. You know, we've been looking at the churches in the book of Revelation, actually a prophecy about what God's doing. On, on the earth, there were seven very real churches, and God speaks to them through this book called Revelation. This is not written just merely by the hand of John the apostle. It was written up by him, but it came through a revelation. So as we read this, we have to understand these are the words of Jesus speaking to this, these, these seven churches we're also realizing that the challenges they faced were individually very real challenges. So every church will have different challenges. But not only do we realize that this is uh, just seven churches during that day, but as we look at it, we can recognize that there are seven periods of church history that the Lord is describing. Seven different challenges that happened to the church. And so what we have to ask ourselves is, will we be faithful to the mission that God has called us to? And, and I pray that by the grace of God, we will. So what I would like us to do is to turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 3 and start reading in verse 7 about a church in the city of Philadelphia. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So we're going to look at that, and um, let's just discover what the Lord might have for us today as a church. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy... Who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds, behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have followed my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold firmly to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes out of heaven from my God and my new name. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so, Father, I want to pray for the anointing of the Lord to fall upon this place. Let every word come from your mouth, Lord, and let our ears only be able to hear and receive those things that you're speaking So, Father, I thank you, Lord. As as I'm praying right now, Lord, I ask that this church would be faithful in its day to fulfill its mission and the cause of Jesus Christ upon the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been looking at these seven churches, and this is the sixth church of the seven. really want to ask you to come next week because it means a lot to me personally, the story, to the church of Laodicea. This is the only church that is not rebuked and corrected. Well, the church of Sardis receives the blessing of the Lord. But what's unique about this church is that it was a little church. And yet even in their smallness, God had a commendation for them. If we look at the periods of church history in this sixth period of church history, we would look at that being from the time from around 1750 all the way up until 1900. What was going on in church history during that very period? We realized that during that time, there were mighty outpourings of the Spirit of God and awakenings inside the church. The church was called back to faithfulness to God, not faithfulness just to the voices of the leaders inside the church. should only follow a leader if he speaks the Word of God, but they were called back to faithfulness to the Word of God. They decided that God called us to be a powerful church, When I was studying for the ministry, I grew so weary of the fact that we would sit around and talk about how great God was. And we called it theology, but I prefer to say it was more theory, because the theology didn't match our actions or our realities. And so looking at that period, Pam and I have had the privilege during the course of our life to visit some of the great places where the Spirit of God fell upon churches, and the churches rose up powerfully. Pam and I were able to go to the, the, the country of Wales, and there we went to the home of a young man, actually slept, they said, in his bedroom, who knows, but it was the only Airbnb that was available to us. I didn't know I'd be sleeping in the house of a, historical revivalists who actually cried out to the Lord and the Spirit of God fell upon him. And he led the church in a great awakening. The Spirit of God was poured out. It actually ended up leaping the Atlantic Ocean. The very same move of God happened in Los Angeles because there was a church that heard about what was going on in Wales. They reached out to the leader, his name was Jonathan Edwards, and said, what you've got going on there, we want it to happen here. And the Holy Spirit was poured out upon a little church in Los Angeles on Azusa Street that was being led by a a one-eyed African-American man who was just hungry for God. And the Spirit of God was poured out upon him and upon that church. And churches from across America flocked to a little warehouse of a building where the pastor spoke with his sermon on two crates. And from there he spoke. Sometimes they say he didn't even speak. He was such a man of prayer that sometimes during the whole service, he would just bow on the floor and he'd stick his head inside one of the crates. And there he would ask God to pour out his spirit. Because he was a man who understood that what God needs to do can't be done by men. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Pam and I were able to travel to Scotland and to go to the Hebrides Islands. And there we actually went to the little tiny town. Actually, believe it or not, the town where Donald Trump's mother grew up. But we went to that town, not because of that history, but we went there because in that little place, In a little prayer chapel, not as big as even one of these sections here, people began to cry out to the Lord for the Spirit of God to move, that they would recognize that the power of God was among them because they were losing a generation of young people who no longer came to church. The Holy Spirit fell upon that place. Now, to bring that a little bit into a context, that there was a young boy there that was touched by the power of God. That little boy's name was Donald, and he became a preacher in the revival. Ironically, Donald Trump's mother named him Donald after that young man. And also from that revival, there was a little Bible where God was pouring out his spirit. And that was the Bible on which Donald Trump was sworn in to be president of the United States. Now, I just want to say that there are times in this season from 1750 to the early 1900s where God was pouring out his spirit. And influencing nations. We also went to the Isle of Skye, and if you ever want to see a most beautiful place, go there off the coast of Scotland. And there we actually went out into the middle of nowhere to a little stone bridge, not even over a river. I don't even know what it bridged, actually. But at that place, 15,000 Presbyterians showed up because the Spirit of God was poured out. What? On the preaching? No. On a communion service. And God was continually visiting the people because you know what? It's not about good preaching. It's all about Jesus. And this is a group of people that were centered on who is Jesus, and we want to know him. And the Spirit of God fell. Men like John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards. Pam and I went to the oak tree, whether it's the actual one or not, but marked the place where Jonathan Edwards, who came over on a boat seeking God, Spirit of God hit him, power of God was on him, he gave his life to Christ, under that tree, i am uh, um, sorry, John Wesley—just preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that birthed a great move of the Spirit of God in America. I want you to know that there was a first great awakening that happened before the Revolutionary War. God has had visitations on this nation when there was going about to be a war on our own grounds. It happened before the Revolutionary War, a great outpouring of the Spirit of God. The church was awakened, and the pastors were on fire. It happened before the Revolutionary War, then it happened again right before the Civil War. God, in His grace and mercy, visited our nation so that people might get the revelation of Jesus Christ. That same kind of southern revival that happened when John Wesley was in Georgia we have to realize that the Spirit of God continued to move, and there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Cane Ridge in Kentucky. And most people don't know that that move of the Spirit of God birthed the entire Bible Belt. And so what we want to be able to do is to understand today that God can take small beginnings, and he can do something great. And so as we're looking at this church, the first thing that we have to do is we have to look at the city of Philadelphia. What was this city that was in that very small region around Turkey? This city was established in 189 B.C., and it was established by King Eumenes, and he was known to very dearly love his brother. So he called this city the City of Brotherly Love. But something happened in 17 A.D. It also affected the city of Sardis, where the church was. A great earthquake happened. The earthquake happened, and historians tell us that it was so devastating to the city of Philadelphia that what you could find and notice was remaining standing was not the walls, was not the homes, was not the roof of the temples, but actually the pillars seemed to survive when that earthquake hit. And that will be very significant to this story that we're reading today. So, as we did with every church, let's just. Pause for a moment and realize that Jesus revealed himself differently to every church. And in this church, he described himself. First, he says that he is holy. Now, what does that word holy mean? I think that we have some very bad impressions about what that word might mean, but we have to understand this. Holy means this. It means separated, set apart, unreached and untouched and unaffected by the things that are going on around. So when we realize that there is one word, that there were some angels that declared over God's throne consistently, they have. For as long as we know they're angels, they're called seraphim, and they are around the throne of God, and they say one word to describe God, holy, holy, holy. Now, if you notice there, it doesn't say that they say holy, 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 holy. God actually very deliberately helps us to understand that the revelation came that the the Godhead when worshiped is is, is declared with three holies because it is God the three in one. This perfect picture of the Trinity that's going on inside heaven, the angels are declaring the glory of God. This word meaning set apart means this. No matter how much things shake, God is never shaken. The whole universe can shake, and it won't shake God. The whole earth can go through earthquakes. They might be political. They might be wars. The Bible even talks about the day will come upon the earth when the oceans will rage. They'll be like tsunamis, and they're Bible says there will be great earthquakes that'll be upon the earth. But the thing is this, is that a church needs to understand everything can shake, but we are tapped into the God who will not shake. The Lord says this concerning his people. He said, you be holy like I'm holy. In other words, the Lord is saying, you be set above this earth. You be distinct. You be unshakable. And if everything else around you shakes, don't you shake with it. Why? Why? Because God is your foundation. Jesus Christ is the anchor to your soul. It's such a good word. A good word for a day like the today when you wake up in the morning and one of the headlines is is that there's a European leader predicting that what Russia is going to trigger will be equal to what happened in 1945 Europe. But I'm going to tell you what. I hear news like that and I pray. I pray for humanity but at the very same time I understand this. I don't need to shake because God is unshakable. As a matter of fact, In Isaiah chapter 6, we read about Isaiah having a vision of the Lord. And these seraphim, meaning angels, what kind of angels? It means burning ones. These burning ones are always around the throne of God saying, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when they say that word, we find out this, that the foundations of heaven shook. Here's the most amazing thing about God. The heavens can shake and the earth can shake, but God says, I'm above it all. Yes. Hey, listen, the Bible also says this, that there's coming a day where God will make a new heaven and a new earth. Mm-hmm. And the most important thing about that is to make sure you're part of the eternal kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so we have this beautiful revelation of Jesus, the one who is above it all, the one who was separate, separate, separate. As we look at this passage, we also realize that he said that he's the true one. I am true. Hey, have you noticed how hard it is now to find what's true and what's not true? I think it's amazing right here that he didn't say truth. Jesus did say that about himself I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But here it just says true. Jesus said, I am true. And what he's saying there is, I am genuine, I am the real deal. What Jesus is saying there is, I'm authentic. If you were to read the life of Jesus, you would come away with this understanding. This Messiah was very authentic. I think what we want to ask ourselves is this question Are we, as a church, a reflection of Jesus? Are we authentic? Like I said, in Bible college, where we sat around and and learned about how great God was, and yet we denied his very power. The Bible warned against that. But I went to a college that talked about how great God is. They believed in the book of Acts, but they said, concerning the power of God, that doesn't happen anymore. I became so frustrated. I wasn't content with theories of God. I wanted to see that the glory of God would be revealed that the church would rise up in its place that God has called it to take. And in the understanding of all of that, Jesus says that I I, I have a name that corresponds with my actions, and I would pray the same thing about our church. But he also said this about himself. Jesus said, I'm holy. He said, I'm authentic and true. And then he also said this, I have the keys of David. Now, what on earth does that mean? We have to understand that the Savior that we love, the Savior that we worship, the one who died for us, it says concerning him in Isaiah 22. Now understand this. This was 700 years before the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words, Isaiah 22:22. I will put the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. I will drive him like a peg in a firm place and he will become a throne of glory to his father's house. Jesus is saying here, I am the fulfillment of the promises of the prophecies that are in the scriptures that began when Moses began to prophesy about a coming one all the way through to Isaiah in 700 BC prophesied about one who will have the keys of David. He will come out of the kingly line of the kings of Israel, but with that, keys. It says in that scripture that he will open things that cannot be shut and he will shut things that cannot be opened. Jesus is letting us know here concerning what God is doing upon the earth. There are keys to that. And Jesus came to unlock and to give to the church. Not theories, not merely theologies, but keys. Keys that would open up opportunities. Keys for any church, whether it's big or small, to say, hey, We don't need anything except the keys of God. We don't need anything but an open door. Do you understand that we follow a Savior who took something very small like five loaves and two fishes and taken from a little boy? And yet with that very small beginning, God actually fed 5,000 people. This was a church. The Church of Philadelphia got hold of that. It wasn't limited by anything because they understood that Jesus has the keys. And you say to us, well, what does that have to do with us? Well, what it has to do with us is this, is that Jesus said this to Peter, the apostle Peter. After Peter had declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Lord said to him, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Lord has given to the church and to you, every believer and follower of Jesus Christ, keys to lock and unlock. And the Lord said, if you take those keys and you unlock something on earth, it'll be unlocked in heaven. If If you lock it on earth, it'll be locked in heaven. If you unlock it on earth, it will be unlocked in heaven. Listen, Jesus has the keys to the The great storehouses of God. And you and I, if we will rise up in faith and believe, if we will move away from the centuries of Christianity Mm -hmm. that relegated God. to to a statue, or an image, or a worldview, or whatever it might be, and didn't realize. It's a dynamic relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And if you and I will believe, if we will get a hold of the risen Christ, if we will see him in all his glory, and to realize that the keys he had, he told Peter, I give these keys to you. And not only just in that passage, but he also said it as well, speaking later to his disciples. He said to all of them, not Peter, Alone, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Listen, we don't need anything but keys. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. That's all we need. Yeah. Do you think about it? No matter how powerful they are walking the halls of Congress, mm-hmm. they still need a key holder right. to open doors. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way with you. It's not about your personal individual power. It's about having the keys. Yeah. The opportunity, taking full opportunity of those blessings. John the Baptist. John the Baptist found himself serving God, and he knew. Listen, Jesus was his cousin. He knew the whole story about who Jesus was. And yet he found himself. His life was shaking. He was locked away in prison, and he was about to give up his life just because of what he believed And in that moment of darkness, he sent some of his own disciples to go to Jesus and say, are you the one that we should look for? Or should we look for someone else? Because sometimes when things shake around you, man, you need a fresh revelation of Jesus and who he is. When you shake, I'm telling you, it's not your surroundings that are shaking you. It's your vision of Jesus that's shaking you. And if it's lacking, you'll shake with the world. And so Jesus told the disciples of John the Baptist when they asked that question, Jesus said, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. People were blind and they received their sight. People who limped walk. People with leprosy are cleansed. And people who are deaf hear. Dead people are raised. And the people who are poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus said to his disciples, you go, you heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. The church lost so much over the course of 2,000 years. But what God is restoring upon the earth is a church. who's finding its legs. Yes, yes. And they know the role that God has called them to play upon the earth. Jesus said this. He called us to disciple all nations. Yes. Not just people. Nations. nations. You and I have been called to lead in righteousness. To stand up for what the, ta- the Bible has taught us to believe for. Not just words, but actions, because Jesus says in the next part, I know your deeds. You know, as difficult as this might have been over the last several months, as difficult as it was for some of our teachers sitting here in the room and for our families, knowing that every day you were told that you could go to jail for 18 months, that was not easy, and yet you held on. But the Lord says this to you, I know your deeds. I know exactly what you went through, and I know exactly what you stood up for. Because the Jesus even taught us this, that when you fast, don't let anybody know. If you give something to the poor, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you're praying, don't blow a trumpet in the streets like religious people do to draw attention to themselves. And he says this, the God who sees in secret is the one who's gonna reward you openly. And that those people who really believe that there is nothing invested in what God wants to do upon the earth, they will never lose they will end up coming out winning. Listen, the answer for the world, the answer for America, the answer for the Roaring Fork Valley is a group of individuals who say, I will not be shaken, and I will. Be, I believe that what you stand for, in the end, all things will work together for good Amen. because we love God. We're called according to his purpose. I'm telling you today, you will shake in this generation, whether you know Christ or not, you will shake if you don't have a love for the Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our boldness and our confidence. As we went through that season, I have never felt so strong as I did during that time because the Lord was with us. Yeah, I don't know if you know this or not, but the story of what was going on in this church was picked up by Charisma Magazine. It went online. They have 6 to 7 million people who view their website every year. Last night, I received an email from the gentleman who wrote that letter about what our church was going through. And he sent me an article that's appearing in Charisma Magazine right now. And it says this, when God couldn't find enough bold pastures, he called truckers. Here's what I think that we need to understand. If the church does not lead the way, God will always have a remnant. Those who will stand up for what? they believe in. I know this, that the Lord says this, I know your deeds, and before you I have put an open door which no man can shut. Of all the criticisms that I heard while we were taking a stand was the hardest ones to navigate, the ones were coming from fellow Christians. And actually the, the words that were being spoken and declared was that we were going to bring shame and reproach upon the gospel and that we would be reflecting that we do not care about others. But truthfully, in my position with you, embrace it or not, I believe that the stand for liberty and freedom for individuals is the highest stand that you can take and the greatest act of compassion and of love. Amen. Amen. And so as we were look, as I thought about that, I just want to declare this, that since we have taken our stand, we have seen more people come to Jesus Christ than we ever have before. You know Why? Because people are looking for authenticity and truth. They're looking for boldness and faith and courage. They are weary of leaders who shake when the earth shakes. And he's looking for, you know, here's the thing. If they want to hear truth, they'll hear it. And it doesn't matter whether they're in the church or whether they've never come to Christ. If you want to know truth, you'll hear it. Amen. And so we don't have to worry about what if our obedience causes people to be offended with us? The truth is this: the truth prevails. Yes. And the Lord watches over our deeds. The Lord watches over every step we take as a church. The Lord said concerning this church, you have small power. Now, wait a minute. He's complimenting them. Why would he compliment small power? As we look at this passage, we realize that it might run and fly in the face of other passages where the Apostle Paul rebuked churches for having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. God doesn't like powerless churches. He loves them, but he doesn't like them. <laughs> but the Bible there and the commentators who study that passage just are saying this, is that that word power there has to be interpreted as they have little authority and position in their community. Mm-hmm. And yet the Lord said to them, but I washed what you did. Mm-hmm. Yes. You should never measure yourself your church, your influence, your family, by how small it is. Yes, that's right. You shouldn't measure everything by obedience yes. because obedience opens doors. Yes. I think about the pinnacle of when we were struggling with our local government was when over two of, 200 of you joined together and we all appeared at Eagle County. And in that place, you all know that we were forbidden to speak while they leveled charges against Cornerstone. Mm -hmm. And I know that was tough for many of you. Mm -hmm. I know how hard that was. And yet if you were at that meeting, you watched as they quickly exited the room and God gave me an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the county building of the county commissioners and to let... People know that Jesus saves and we need men and women rising up in the courage and faith of the Lord. Because you know why? You can be little. Mm -hmm. And yet God said, I'll watch your deeds and I'll open doors. I want to stay obedient to the Lord because he's watching every move we make. I'm looking at some of you in this room and you lost your jobs because of your... Your belief in your own personal autonomy concerning your health choices. Mm-hmm. Quite a few of you are fired from local hospitals. I can see you right here now. In the middle of all that, I want you to know the Lord says this I've seen your deeds. Yes. Amen. I've seen your deeds. I saw the price you paid. Mm-hmm. And I'll open the door. I will open a door that no man can shut, and I'll shut a door that no man can open. And the truth of the matter is, is if any door was shut to you, it couldn't have happened unless God allowed it to happen. And that's the confidence of every believer. God will be faithful to you. God will be faithful to us. The Apostle Paul, in his writing of the Scriptures, talked constantly about there being open doors Open doors for the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be able to share who Jesus is, is an open door. I want to encourage you today, personally and as a church, just begin to ask the Lord. Say, Lord, would you open doors for me to share the gospel? You do not have to go around fretting, wringing your hands, operating under guilt and obligation, Mm -hmm. but rather just understanding that all you need to do is have God open divine appointments for you to run into someone somewhere that you can just share what God is doing. And it begins percolating in the hearts of individuals. Mm -hmm. And by that, God releases more people upon the earth who carry the power of prayer and the keys of the kingdom. Yes, yes. You know, the truth of the matter is, I don't know where all this is going, and I'm looking forward when I am free to be able to share on the agendas that are going on in our local public schools concerning the transgender agenda. And listen, we love all people, and we have to, we have to understand the pendulum of gender and how there are some people who have very real issues that they're dealing with. And the love of Christ would call us to be loving and faithful and kind. But I want you to know that what is going on locally will end up resulting in anyone with a biblical worldview that God created the male and female. Mm -hmm. Understanding if you want to know part of your purpose and existence, just look at your biology. But the challenges for us in the emails that came to me from Eagle County included a transgender agenda. And that's why you say, Pastor Jim, why were you doing that about masks? It's because if they force us to do make certain choices, eventually it's going to come down to the transgender agenda in our school. Because they're calling that a leading health care issue of our day. Now's the day people for us to stand and we must be faithful to walk through every door that opens up for us we have got to get the message of Jesus Christ outside the walls here's the thing the great revivals shaped the writing of our constitution and the declaration of independence it was born out of a sense of liberty and freedom for which Christ came It was birthed in the ovens of persecution against the pilgrims who were just wanting to live free and to be able to worship God with all their heart. Mm -hmm. God opened for them doors that no man can shut, and he shut doors that no man can open. In this passage right, right here, what does Jesus talk about next? Now, I want to remind everybody You all know that I make great efforts to bridge a gap between us and the Jewish community in this valley. And I would never say anything that would be reflected in an anti-Semitic way. What you have to understand when we look at the next verse here is that actually this was the words of a Jewish Messiah revealing himself to a Jewish apostle, writing to a church that was established and built upon the foundation of Judaism. But Jesus says, there are some people that have given you trouble and they're from the synagogue. They say they are Jews, but they are not actually Jews. And what Jesus is addressing here is those who would not allow... The principles, the compassion, the love of Judaism influenced how they were treating this church. And you say, oh, yeah, that figures. No, it doesn't figure. Because think about the times that the church did not operate in the love in the compassion and the mercy towards the Jewish people when they were suffering. Right. See, listen, the early church was persecuted by two groups, religious people, and they were persecuted by political people. Right. It was always power struggle. And we realize this, is that they were being persecuted. But the Lord says in this passage that he will cause, actually because they were faithful to the Lord, that they would witness the Jews coming to understand the prophecies concerning the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, there's a a letter in our book written specifically to Jews in the New Testament. And it says this, In writing to them, it's possible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it's impossible to restore them to repentance. They would again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. The Lord is saying this, there's a real tragedy in dead religion. He says, a real problem, if you just took a taste, oh, let me take a sip. Let me stick my toe in the water. You can come into the church of the Lord, and you say, hey, that felt good. That sounded good. I kind of like that. And so they taste of the Lord, and it also says you can come to church and taste of the word of God. But in the middle of all of that, the Lord says, once you taste the Holy Spirit and you decide, it's not for me. I want nothing to do with it. The Lord says that kind of individual is hard to bring back to that place. It declares it as an impossibility. And so the Lord is just saying this, because you are faithful, the Lord is though gonna cause those who are opposing them to be at peace with them. I don't wanna wrestle with local political leaders. It's the last thing on earth I wanna do. But the Lord says this, I'm watching you. If you are faithful, I will cause him to be at peace with you. And so that's my hope today. So as we look a little bit further here, we understand that Jesus says this. But because you have kept my word of perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of the testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. As we look at this passage right here, Jesus is telling us this. Little church, if you're faithful and you do the right thing, I will open up doors to you, but I'm going to do even more than that. If you overcome the momentum of your day and of your generation, he says Concerning them, that you will end up being saved during an hour of testing, the hour which is about to come upon the whole world. We have prophecies that span thousands of years that predict there is an hour that is coming to the earth. Now listen, I know that During World War II, believers were saying it feels like the world is coming to an end. And certainly if you lived in London during the bombings, you would feel as though these must be the last days of horror and of terror. But, you know, when you think about it, it was localized. But the Lord's saying there is a trouble that's going to shake the whole earth. There's a darkness that is coming. Now you just say, why are you landing on such a dark subject? It's only because God in his grace and his mercy has predicted there's coming a darkness to the earth. And it's going to be called an hour. Because in relationship to eternity, it's going to be this little window of time. As we study the book of Revelations, we see that there is a seven-year period where there is going to be a trouble that comes to the entire earth. And Jesus says this, that God will shorten it for the sake of those that are his followers. And so it's called an hour because it has a beginning and it has an end. The neat thing about that is, as Pam shared in the communion, that Jesus was letting the disciples know, hey, I'm about to be betrayed. Hey, I'm about to be crucified. But I want you to know that when all this happens, I have not lost control. And the Lord is saying to us, when you begin to see a global shaking. And certainly, the World Wide Web has created an opportunity for intercommunication that causes any local problem to become a global problem. And as we look at that, we understand as well that the Lord says, but I am the one who will deliver you. And actually, that word, that that pronoun, that preposition, I'm sorry, is that the Lord is saying, I will take you out. I will take you out when that Hour comes to the earth. Now, I know that even within this room, there are some people that would argue over when the coming of Christ could be, but here's what I'm convinced of the Lord has called us to live in the way that we know that He could come at any moment. And there are plenty of passages and examples that we can look at, and we will in the future about how when the darkness covers the whole earth, that God will be faithful to his own people. One of the visual images of it that was given to us in the story is of Noah. When a judgment came then upon the whole earth, Noah was lifted out. Here's the thing about judgment. God doesn't use a shotgun when it comes to judgment. He doesn't take out the innocent, with the guilty. Otherwise, he wouldn't be just. The Lord is saying to us that there will be a day when evil has its full day. And during that time, Jesus says, I will take you out. I will bring you to myself. As we look at this passage, we realize some other ones. In 1 Thessalonians, the apostle Paul says this, for they themselves report about us as to the kind of reception we have with you. How you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. There are so many passages that talk about the second coming of Christ, but they seem as though it's two different pictures. One picture is where Christ comes in the clouds of great glory and all eyes will see him and the great resurrection of the dead, both believing and unbelieving will happen. But there's another story about the second coming of Christ and that is one found in 1 Thessalonians chapter four where there's gonna be a trumpet blast and a shout, the voice of the archangel. And in that place, it's not all the dead will be raised, but it says that those who are dead in Christ, who are asleep in Christ, will rise first, and those who walk the earth will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, because the Lord is letting us know in this second coming, he's going to deliver his people, but he's also going to wrap things up. Listen, if there is a God, and you know I know there is, but if there is a God, you have to know inside your hearts that someday he's coming, and he's going to end this stuff, and he's going to jerk the slack out of the, out of the nations. Yes. And he's going to bring us into the fullness of Christ. Here's what the promise that happened to this church right here. He says, if you will be faithful in your deeds to do what I have called you to do, you can live in the expectation of the coming of Christ, that the Lord will deliver you out. And he says, he adds to that, it's a test that's going to come to the whole earth. But then on top of that, he says, I'm coming quickly, hold firmly to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Now here's a word to us. Here's a word to myself as a pastor. I know that I could do all of this that I do every week and lose everything if I'm not faithful. I don't live in fear of losing my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I don't live in fear of losing my salvation. But I do understand that in heaven, there is a system of rewards for all those that are faithful to God. Jesus said, what you do in secret, I'll reward openly. I also understood this, that he said to us, and I, I'll, for the sake of time, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, that the foundation that's been laid in your life and the foundation of this church is the Lord Jesus Christ. It cannot be shaken. And then it says, be careful how you build upon that foundation. Some build with gold, silver, and precious stones, and some build with wood, hay, and stubble. It has nothing to do with the size of your church. It has nothing to do with whether you have political influence and power or not. It has to do with being obedient to God. And the Lord just says this that when we get to heaven, it'll all of our works, my works, our church's works, individually. We're talking about that Jesus revealed himself as the one whose eyes are a flame of fire. And the Lord says, if you built in this life with Gold, silver, and precious stones. Think about that. You apply fire to gold. What happens to gold? It becomes finer. Jesus says to to him who has much, much will be given. If you build this life in gold, the rewards are great in heaven. In silver, not quite as valuable as gold. And yet when it stands before the Lord, it'll even become greater. Precious stones that go to the fire, they don't change they still remain what they were before they went into the fire, but they're not consumed. But then the Apostle Paul says, you know what, church, you can build with wood and hay and stubble. And when the fire comes, poof, it'll all go up. But it also says this: but you'll be saved, but you'll be saved by fire. It's not about, it's not about Jesus loving us. It's not about his us trying to win his favor and approval. It's about us being followers of Jesus Christ and being true to him. Doing what he did, saying what he said. He said, the one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven for my God in my new name. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here's what the Lord is saying. Church, don't lose your crown. I'll say it to myself. Jim, don't lose your crown. Say it to each one of you. Build your life with gold, silver, and precious stones. And then he says this. If we will be faithful to God in our day, like that city that was shaken and everything collapsed except the pillar of all the temples, The Lord said to them, I'll make you a pillar in the house of God. And I will write on you God's name. I will write on you the name of the new city of Jerusalem, which we'll look at in a few weeks that God is going to build. And I will place upon you my new name. Jesus, because he was faithful to the Father on the cross and entered into the glory of heaven, having been given a new name. So may God help us as a church to be faithful to what God has called us to be. May the Lord strengthen us with his strength and his ability. And I pray that for each one of you individually. I pray that you would be authentic, authentic. You wouldn't be duplicitous in your words to where if you talk to one influence, you'd sound this way and say these words, and you talk to someone else, you use other words. I pray that authenticity would fall upon us, genuineness, true faith, conviction, and that God can take a little thing and bless it and make it great. Can you say amen? Let's all stand up together. I just want to give an opportunity here because it all comes down to meeting Jesus. If we would all bow our heads and close our eyes, I just want to ask this question. If Do you know the Father, God? You can come here, nothing will ever change. You can listen to me for the rest of your life and nothing's ever going to change. You can join a church, memorize Bible verses, do all kinds of things. But what you need is a spiritual awakening to be made alive by the Holy Spirit. If you've never met the Lord, it was a long time ago that I was in a Sunday morning church service where an invitation went out if you want to meet Jesus you can give your heart to him today and I responded I walked forward in that church came down front declared him as my Lord and Savior it wasn't a formula but it was a surrender And if you've never met the Lord today, I want to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus to come into your heart to wash away every hindrance, wash away all of our sins so that the Spirit of God can come and live inside of us. I'm going to ask you to do two things if you want to meet the Lord today. Not a formula, but it's receiving the gift. If you want prayer and saying, Today's my day to surrender my life to Christ, I'd like to ask you just to lift your hand to be included in the the prayer. Not so important that I see it, it's important that the Lord says, I look back and forth across the earth to see those whose hearts are positioned right before me. It's just a way of saying, God, if. Knowing that Jesus came and died for me, I want you to come and live inside my heart. If you do raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come forward like I did. Because the Lord said, if you confess Him before the men, I'll confess Him before the Father. This is a generation and a day where we need people who just say, I want to get on the Lord's side. So if you're here today, if you've never met Jesus, would you lift up your hand saying, Pastor Jim, I want to be included in the closing prayer. Anyone here today, if you feel that tug on your heart, just respond to him. That's the Holy Spirit calling you. God, you're so good and you're so faithful. I pray for each person that's here today. God, let him be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I pray, God, joy and peace inside their homes and inside their hearts. Bless them in their singleness. Bless them in their marriages. Bless their families, God, the roof over their head, the things in their care. I thank you, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that as we now just baptize outside Richard and Allie, I just pray, Father, draw us together in community to receive our new brother and sister in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Our elders are going to be here in the front. There'll be men. There'll be women. You can come on up and let them pray for you. If you would, stick around for just a couple minutes. We're going to baptize Allie and Richard outside, and let's just welcome into the the family of God. So I'm going to make a quick change, and I'll meet you out there like in three minutes, all right? Don't time me. All right. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.